Hello, hello, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 59 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Licagliano of the USA Today Network, and I hope you all are enjoying this reprieve from Rangers hockey. I've actually been hearing from a lot of you who are not enjoying it and who are dying for the Rangers to get back on the ice. I hate to tell you, it's still going to be a handful of days more. They won't play again until Tuesday when they host the Boston Bruins. That will end this two-week break with no hockey for you, for me, for everybody. Uh, I'm sure it's been tough on some of you guys, but it has been a nice little opportunity to catch your breath. I actually just got back earlier today from a little trip down to Maryland to see the in-laws. Also spent some time with some friends in Philly. Got away for a few days. I've been spending some good quality time with the baby and my fiance and some friends and Still have been doing some work. I'm sure a lot of you have seen. I've had a handful of stories come out in the past week. So not completely taking time off, but not working quite as hard as I do when you're going through the grind of the season. And it has been nice. It's also the lack of hockey recently has been giving me an opportunity to check in on some stuff that I don't always have the time to look into when you're in the heat of the season. So I've been making a lot of calls, asking about a variety of things, many of which we'll touch on during this podcast. And one of those things, or one of those topics that I've been inquiring about in the last week is some of the Rangers' prospects. And that leads me into this week's guest. This week on the show, we're going to have the Flint Firebirds head coach, Ted Dent. He coaches, many of you are probably familiar with the Flint Firebirds because they are the junior league team of the Rangers' first-round pick from this past draft, Brennan Othman, who is having an incredible season, up to 30 goals now. He was the first player in the OHL this season to reach that 30-goal marker. He is having an outstanding season, certainly establishing himself as one of the best prospects in the organization, maybe the best forward prospect in the organization right now. So in making calls and doing some some work on this, and I, I wrote a, a little prospect report earlier in the week that I hope some of you will check out if you haven't already. But I reached out to Coach Dent. He's This is his first year coaching Flint, so I wanted to you know kind of get to know him a little bit and pick his brain about Brennan. I floated coming on the podcast by him, and he was uh, very gracious with his time and willing to do so, so I appreciate that for sure. So we'll hear from Coach Dent in just a little bit, and we'll get a lot of the insider knowledge on Brennan Othman and and what has led to his outstanding season so far in the OHL. Wrote about Othman in the prospect report. Wrote about Will Cooley, Ryder Korzak, Brett Berard. Those four forwards in particular, I would say, have been generating the most buzz among Rangers prospects with the seasons that they're having. All those guys... Othman Cooley and Korzak in the Canadian Junior Leagues and Berard playing for Providence in the NCAA are, are having big statistical seasons and are really catching the eyes of a lot of scouts and, and I think impressing and rising to the top of the Rangers prospect pool. We'll obviously do our pro- annual prospect rankings this summer as I've done. I think this will be the third or fourth year in a row. So We'll see how that all shakes out once the season concludes. But right now, I would say that those guys have done themselves the most help as far as improving their stock among the forwards. The other guy that I think is really generating a lot of positive reviews from scouts and the like is goalie Dylan Garand, who, if you look at the statistical leaderboards in the WHL, he's right at the top in all the goalie categories right now. So I think in Dylan Garand, who, as we know, Looked like he was going to be the starter for Team Canada for the World Juniors before that tournament ended up getting canceled. Garand is another guy that I've been hearing a lot of good things about in the past week. So I wrote about those guys a little bit. And again, you'll hear Ted Dent pretty shortly here go into some detail about Brandon Othman. The defensemen. So we just we just talked about forwards. We just talked about uh, Dylan Garand kind of rising as the top goalie in the system right now. The defenseman is an interesting conversation because... And I wrote about the defenseman for my most recent story, which went up Wednesday morning on loha.com slash sports slash Rangers. So as always, encourage you guys to go check that one out. It's a subscriber-only story, just a, a, a fair warning. And for those of you who might be on the fence about whether you want to subscribe, we do still have this deal going where it's $1 in total for the first three months. So you can give it a trial run. Read all my stuff, unlimited amounts of it for three months. And if you're not happy with the work or the content after three months, you can always cancel and it'll only cost you a dollar. So 
just a little uh, little sales pitch right there. I appreciate everybody who subscribes. It's crucially important for the health of our business moving forward and for me to keep providing you guys with all this content, which you know I love to do. So anyway, quick little side note on that. But getting back to the defensemen, I wrote about all 10 defensemen that the Rangers have used so far this season, and three of them are rookies in Braden Schneider, Nils Lundqvist, and Zach Jones. What's happened with the Rangers' prospect pool in the last couple of years, they were they were super heavy on defensemen as far as the guys that people considered the top prospects a year or two ago. The vast majority of those guys have now turned pro. A lot of them are playing for Hartford right now, and we've seen the sort of revolving door of the three rookies who have each gotten an opportunity in the NHL so far this season. So while you have these younger forwards like Othman and Cooley and the like, who are still kind of coming up and still in the junior leagues and haven't turned pro yet, the defensemen have all mostly turned pro, which has sort of created this logjam for the Rangers. Now, what's become increasingly clear, I think it's been clear for a while, quite frankly, but more so with the more information and the more that we see happen with the roster moves the Rangers have made in the last month or two, is that Braden Schneider, I believe, is the current organizational favorite. He is at the top of the pecking order right now as far as these young defenseman prospects and which one the Rangers are most comfortable relying on in NHL games right now. Long-term upside, you could debate it. He does not have the skill or the offensive touch of a Lundqvist or a Jones, but I think in terms of the total package, the Rangers feel he's much more trustworthy defensively. The Rangers feel like he's much more prepared physically. He's a much bigger, stronger guy than a lot of these other prospects. And right now, if you you just look at the roster moves the Rangers have made, Jones and Lundqvist have been sent to the AHL. Schneider is the only rookie remaining on the NHL roster. So that pretty much tells you that coming out of this break, Schneider is going to have a really good chance of being in the lineup as he was for, I believe, the last 10 games leading into the break. So Schneider, I think, even though if you look at his underlying numbers, the Rangers, when he's on the ice, are are giving up a whole lot more shots than they're generating themselves. So certainly things need to be tightened up. But I think as far as the toughness, the poise, the trustworthiness defensively, and even, you know, we've seen some puck skills from him that I think maybe are a little bit underrated. Just in talking to some people in the last week or two, The Rangers are really happy with what they're seeing from him. Gerard Gallant, I think, has made that pretty clear as well. And that's why I think you're going to see him continue on in the lineup, at least for the near future, for sure, coming out of this break. So what that leads me to, which is a question I've been getting a lot during this break, is about trade candidates. And with all these defensemen, as we've talked about on this podcast several times before, ultimately the Rangers can't keep them all. So I would say that it would not surprise me. It would kind of surprise me if Schneider got traded. I wouldn't rule it out, but I think that that would classify as a surprise. Everyone else from that group of Lundquist, Zach Jones, Matthew Robertson, Hunter Skinner, all those guys that are with Hartford right now, it would not surprise me if any of those guys get traded either at the deadline coming up on March 21st or looking ahead to the summer. The Rangers don't need to trade any one of them right now. If they can go out and get an asset that they feel like is going to help them and they're willing to to part with one of those guys to make it happen, it's absolutely a possibility coming up in these next next month plus. But there's always a chance that they can wait till the summer too. I don't think any of them need to be unloaded right now. With that being said, the smoke signals that I've been picking up surrounding Nils Lundqvist in particular have been a little more prominent, I would say, especially in this past week with this reset and and a little extra time on our hands to feel out the situation. Now, I want to make this very clear. There is no trade request that, that at least I have confirmed, I mean, put stamp on it, hardcore confirmed from either side. But my sense right now is that neither side is opposed to a possible change of scenery. The Rangers clearly viewed Lundqvist as their top defenseman prospect coming into the season. You guys know I did as well. And that was mostly based on talking to people from the Rangers and talking to various scouts and and people who know him well. I had him ranked as the number one prospect in the organization coming into the season as well. They went out and they signed Patrick Nemeth. 
a fellow Swede to help ease that transition because they did expect him to jump right from the SHL to the NHL. They gave him that opportunity, played 25 games in the NHL. You could debate whether that opportunity was enough time to really pass any judgment, but the Rangers felt like overall they did not see enough for him to solidify a spot on that bottom pair, did not do a whole lot offensively, only had four points in those 25 games, one goal. And defensively, I thought, and and I've talked to people who feel this as well, that he just looked a little tentative. It looked like the game was happening fast, which I think is to a certain degree to be expected. He came from a a slower paced game in Sweden where the rinks are bigger. You have a lot more, he talked about this, you have a lot more time to think things through. In the NHL, the decisions have to be made much quicker. You have to be much more assertive. It's a much more physical game. And I, I think in a lot of ways, we probably should have anticipated an adjustment period for him. But obviously the Rangers decided after those 25 games that at this point they feel more comfortable going with Schneider in that spot. Now, Lundqvist has gone down to Hartford. He's played 10 games there. I think he has three points in the 10 games. So it's not exactly like he's lighting it up, but he's doing what was asked of him. But again, I've been hearing little whispers and I do sense that the Rangers aren't opposed to shopping him around and that if he were to get dealt, I don't think his side would be too heartbroken if it got him an opportunity to play more regularly in the NHL. So that's where we're at. Again, I want to make this very clear. Do not take this as an official trade request because that's not what I'm saying it is. But I'm just saying that I'm sensing around that situation that the possibility of Lundqvist being moved has been floated and would not shock me if it happened sometime around the trade deadline or or maybe sometime over the summer. With all that being said as well, the Rangers can't just give him away because as I touched on, this was your number one prospect. This is the guy they felt very highly about. I know a lot of people who cover the NHL or who scout the NHL felt really good about his upside and his potential. So if the Rangers were to deal him, it, it has to be something good. If it's a rental, it would have to be someone really exciting. I don't think a, a middle six type forward rental is going to be enough to really make you feel like that's something the, the Rangers should do or that's going to be something that that is in the Rangers' best interest. They can't sell off their best prospects for marginal parts. It would have to be a really good impact player. Or if it's you know not a rental, of course, that would be a preference. You'd rather have somebody who can help you beyond this season But as we've talked about several times, that complicates the whole thing because then you have the salary cap concerns for next season. You would probably have to either be taking on a player who's cheap or convince a a team to take some salary back in return or convince them to retain some salary. So if you're going to use a guy like Lundqvist to get a player who's going to help you more long term, which I think in an ideal world would be your preference, the inner workings of that deal are going to be a lot more complicated than it's going to be if it's a rental. But again, are you going to give up a guy who was, by many accounts, the top prospect in your organization for a third line type of guy? I think the Rangers would be making somewhat of a misstep potentially if they did that. I think the only way, and I think that they feel this way internally as well. I think the only way that they would feel comfortable moving a player of his caliber is if it's making a really big impact on the roster. So this is all to say that I don't think they're looking to give him away necessarily, but I do think that they're willing to entertain offers if they feel that it makes them a much better team. And because with all of these young defensemen that they have, eventually they're going to have to make a tough decision and trade somebody because if you hold on to them too long, their value is going to lower. You're not going to be able to get as much for them in return. And they're going to waste away some of them because you can't fit them all in your lineup. So ultimately, they're going to have to make a decision. And that decision, we could be heading toward it in the next few weeks with the trade deadline coming up. Last point I'll make, and I touched on this in the story, is when you look at the Rangers pairings, and I sort of finished up my analysis of the defenseman by saying, okay, what would be the ideal pairings for the Rangers moving forward? The top two pairs I wouldn't touch. I've, I've had some people say to me, mix it up, you know, put Fox with Miller and Truba with Lindgren. I, I don't agree with that. I think that you have a really good thing going with Fox and Lindgren. They've been one of the best D pairs in the league for the last three years. 
we know how much they love playing with each other, how close they are off the ice, how well they've played together, and how it's pretty much all they've really known in their three-year NHL careers. I wouldn't mess with that. And I also think that Keandre Miller and Jacob Truba have a really, really close off-ice relationship and have both spoken repeatedly about how much they love playing with each other. Miller has said that he looks at Truba as a big brother. I know Miller has had some inconsistencies, whether it's D-zone turnovers, whether it's defensive zone lapses in terms of his, his coverage. We've, we've seen him get caught out of position on a handful of occasions and it's burned the Rangers. But I do think that we continue to see him making little steps to get better. And I actually thought his last five or six games before the break might have been the best we've seen him play so far this season. So I wouldn't mess with either of those top two pairs. The bottom pair is, is what the main question is. That has obviously been the weak link for the decor. We've seen their minutes reduced gradually over the course of the season. Gallant has been leaning heavily on the top four and, and not playing the bottom pair all that much. Patrick Nemeth was signed to be the veteran presence on that bottom pair. That, in a lot of ways, hasn't worked out. And right now, he's not even technically on the roster for personal reasons. And, you know, I think the main concern with him has to be that I, you really hope that everything is okay with him in his personal life. Certainly not going to pry about what that might be. But he's been on the non-roster list now twice this season. And both times, the Rangers have said it's for personal reasons. So you really, on a side note, completely putting hockey aside, have to hope that everything's okay with him. But when he's played... It hasn't been great. You look at the defensive metrics, they're really not very pretty. So for me, if you're going to be playing that bottom pair limited minutes anyway, and we know that the Rangers clearly look like they want to move forward with Schneider getting an extended opportunity there. We've talked about the situation with Lundqvist, Schneider being a right-handed defenseman, Zach Jones being a left-handed defenseman. I think I've come around on the idea of maybe giving them a look together. Now, when we asked Gallant about this earlier in the season, possibly playing two rookies on the bottom pair, I talked about it on the, on the podcast. At that time, the question was about Jones and Lundquist. And Gallant said, because they're both smaller guys, because they have very similar skill sets, he didn't feel like they would be a good fit together and, and he didn't really want to go in that direction. And, and I think that that's a valid answer. I know some people took issue with it, but I think that that's, to, to me, I would have had serious concerns about how they would have fared defensively if you had those two guys on a pair together. But Schneider, knowing that he's more reliable defensively, knowing that he's more of a physical presence, knowing that he can be that stay-at-home guy for you and maybe compliment a guy like Jones, who's so good with the puck and so crafty and loves pushing up in the rush and pushing up into the offensive zone. They played together a little bit at Hartford. I would be curious to, to give it a look at the NHL level. I don't really see what the harm is given the other options, given the fact that Nemeth hasn't been great. I don't think you really want to go with Jared Tenorti. And Libor Hayek, well, listen, I found this very interesting when I was doing this story. His metrics in his last handful of games have been among the best on the team. He has actually turned the corner a little bit when you look at some of these underlying numbers and played much better in his last, let's say, five or six games, I believe it is. But in the long run, you know that he really doesn't have a future here. You know that there's very limited upside at this point. You know that there's been some ugly moments with him on the ice. The, the Rangers have been playing him a lot, almost by necessity recently. But from, from my perspective, I don't see why, given the fact that you don't feel great about your other options, why at this point you might not say, you know what, let's give Jones and Schneider a handful of games together and see what happens. If, if it's a disaster, if they're making crucial mistakes and crucial moments, you can always put Nemeth or Hayek back in there. But my personal feeling, and as I, as I wrote in the story, was you know I'm coming around on this idea of maybe giving that all-rookie pair a try. Do I think the Rangers are going to do it, if I'm being honest? Probably not. I think you're much more likely to see either Nemeth or Hayek in there next to Schneider. But that's just my two cents, my opinion, now that I've had a little time to digest look at some of the numbers. And again, I wrote about that for Wednesday morning. So we're going to leave it at that. We've talked a lot about the defensemen and some other things in the opening here. Let's get to our interview with Ted Dent, where we'll talk a lot about Brennan Offman. And then I'll be back after that interview to answer some of your Twitter questions. And 
now let's welcome into the show a guest who is going to help us get to know one of the Rangers' top prospects a lot better. That is the head coach of the Flint Firebirds, the head coach for Brennan Othman, Ted Dent. Ted, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm great. Thank you. So you guys are having a, a pretty strong season, it looks like. I think second place in the OHL's Western Conference right now. Obviously, Brennan is having an outstanding season. This is your first year with the team. So as far as you're concerned, things are going pretty well, it looks like. Yeah, it's a, you know, a new year, this OHL, they didn't have hockey last year and you know, I'm new to the organization. Uh, we have a whole new staff and some new players. So it's, uh, it's been a feeling out process and it's, it's coming together nice right now. Brennan leads the team. I, I think he was the first guy in the league to hit the 30 goal plateau this season. I know he leads the team at 57 points in 38 games. So that obviously jumps out to you. But but his overall impact on this team, I mean, what can you say about uh, how he's been playing for you guys? Yeah, he's been good. Um, obviously, with, with the goal scoring ability, 30 goals, um, he leads our team in offense for sure. He's a dynamic player, you know, offensively in this league right now. And he plays with an edge. He plays a competitive brand of hockey. Um, you know, he doesn't just sit on the outside. He'll <clears throat> get to the inside. He'll battle for his space at the net. Uh, he'll finish checks. And, and those are the type of things that uh, we all like as coaches. Do you remember your, your first impression of him? I don't know if it was the, the first time you got to skate with him or see him practice or anything like that. Like, do you remember initially what, what you thought of the player when you, when you got the first chance to work with him? Um, yeah, I, I think just his, uh, his quick release on his shot, you know, he, uh, He's got a really nice uh, release. It's not a big backswing. Um, it's like a half snapshot. I think that stood out right away. Um, you know, his his energy and compete level um, during the scrimmages and exhibition games, just um, his ability to do anything to, to win, especially in the preseason, was uh, stood out by far. You know, blocking shots, things like that right off the bat. It was like, you know, wow, this guy uh, – you know, really wants to compete, really wants to win games here. When you think back on everything that's transpired so far this season, you guys have played 38 games. Are, are there any moments in particular that jump out to you where you were like, wow, th th this guy's good or better than I thought, or, or even made an impression on you off the ice? Does, does anything come to mind that you feel like speaks to his his personality or, or what kind of player he is? Yeah, I mean, uh, a couple things during the course of the year here. We've had some COVID protocol situations and uh, Brennan was in one of them um you know about a month ago we we missed him for two road games we were missing about three players and he was one of them and um you know we lost both games on the road and uh it, it really caught my attention as to how important he was to the team and his presence and you know not just his goal scoring but his overall compete level um and his ability to uh to be a leader on this team. And it was shortly thereafter that, um, that we spoke as a group and, uh, and then we named him captain. And uh, that was sort of the, the last uh, straw that I needed to sort of tell me that this guy's our leader moving forward. And, uh, and then we went ahead and named him captain. Yeah. I want to ask you about the captain thing, as far as the leadership qualities, is he, is he a really vocal guy or is it more just because of his competitive and competitiveness and how hard he plays? Like, what are the traits that, that made him a captain in your eyes? Well, I guess just how important he is to the team, especially on that trip when we didn't have him. Um, and then also um, his compete level, um, mix the combination of skill level with compete level. And, uh, and you got a really, you know, competitive uh, offensive player, if you will. Uh, he also, you know, kills penalties for us and things like that. Um, you know, at the junior level here, these kids are all young, they're maturing, they're, they're learning about themselves, about the league, you know, what it takes to be a pro hockey player. And that's part of our process as coaches is to try and teach them that and, and help them through the, through that path. But, um, you know, it's, it, it is a process, you know, um, Brennan's still young, uh, you know, he just turned 18 a couple months ago. So he's still, uh, learning the process and uh and how to be a leader you know when to talk when not to talk but I think being a leader for me is just more about how you play on the ice and um and your leadership skills and how you play every night game in game out and you compete and you work and uh, you're on the same page as the coaches and, and to me that's what a leader is 
I, when the Rangers drafted him, they talked about a lot of those traits and they said, you know, they, they obviously talked about the shot and, and those kind of things, but they also talked about the competitiveness and how he's a guy who they feel like, you know, could end up being good enough to, to maybe be a top six kind of guy, but also they feel like because of his willingness to do some of the dirty work and get inside and, and, and play physical and all that, that, you know, if he ends up in the bottom six, he could probably make that work too, because he's got that <laughs> versatility. So as far as that goes, the he's just a guy who you feel like doesn't show any intimidation, is competitive in all situations. I mean, what what stands out to you about that? Yeah, you know, in my experience, it's it's hard to predict. Uh, you know, scouting and and uh, analyzing players where they're going to be in four or five years from now. It's 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 not exact science. It's it's difficult. Um, but from my experience at the pro level. Um, you know, the one thing you can't teach is, is work ethic and compete, right? Like uh, players either sort of have that or they don't, you can try and push players to get more out of them in that respect. But um, usually that's something that, that they bring to the table and that's embedded in them. And uh, you know, Brennan definitely has that. So now we, uh, you know, we round out his game, uh, make him a 200 foot hockey player, um, you know, like I mentioned, the age group, he's going to mature every year as a person and a player and then, uh, you know, see where he's at in two or three years. You mentioned penalty killing. Is that is that an example of trying to round out the game? He wants to do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, these players, they'll play 60 minutes if you let them. Right. So, uh, <laughs> they, they want to be on the ice all the time. They love to play hockey. Um, and yeah, penalty killing. Um, <clears throat> he, he penalty kills for us. Uh, you know, I remember the first game of the year, we had a three versus five. We were shorthanded and he was out there and, um, we were blocking shots, you know, him and the other four that was with him and the defenseman. And, uh, that really sort of set the tone for our team and, and made a good first impression on me, you know, as far as the sacrifice to, uh, to our team. Now, I know you played in the AHL for years. You were a head coach in that league, I think for six years, you've been a pro scout, so, so you've, you know what it takes for, for a guy like him to get to the next level and be successful. When you look at him, what are the skills that jump out to you that you think will be his biggest assets whenever he does turn pro? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I think his just as, uh, you know, he wants to be a hockey player. He wants to compete. He, he wants to win. Um, you know, he, 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 I think he's got the ability to play up and down the lineup for sure. Um, from how he plays, <clears throat> there's a lot of guys that score goals and, and uh, get offense that you can't put out in the last two or three minutes of a game because they just they don't take pride defensively enough and they won't sacrifice and do the little things. Um, you know, th- then there is a, a, a there is a handful of guys that can do both, right? So um, he's willing to do both. It's just a matter of where he fits in and uh, you know, the team he goes to and, and, and the holes that need to be filled on that roster. And, uh, and then it's confidence. It's a, it's a coach believing in a player and then the player proving to the coach that, you know, he's willing to do, do the little things that, uh, that the coach wants him to do. With all the goals he's scoring, what do you see that makes him so effective at at scoring those goals? You've talked about the shot, but also talked about his, his positioning. I mean, is he scoring goals in a variety of ways in your estimation? Yeah, I mean, at this level, <clears throat> the junior level, there's a lot of breakaways. There's a lot of uh, two-on-ones, two-on-os, breakaways. It's uh, pretty crazy, actually. Um, and, you know, one of our jobs uh, is to try and limit that as a team. Uh, but on the flip side, uh, Brennan has uh, an ability to sort of find those holes and anticipate, um, you know, when we're going to get the puck and then when to take off and sort of – get an opportunity for a quick rush. Um, I don't think you see that as much at the NHL level um, because it's just the players are better defensively. They're more aware. Uh, they're more structured. I mean, you might see Brad Marchant get a breakaway here and there because of his high hockey IQ um, but and some other players as well. But I, I think in general, uh, he scored a lot of goals off the rush. And uh, he scores, you know, he scores a lot of goals on the, not a lot, but a few on the power play and generates a lot of chances on the power play as well. Last thing I want to ask you, when he was in New York for training camp, he was talking about maturing and, and some of the the things that he felt like he learned during that experience about what he needs to do to, to get to that next level. He talked about, you know, working on his strength, 
Uh, you know, we, he wants to put on some muscle, things like that. But when you look at him, what are maybe a couple things that you would think that he needs to really focus on in these next couple of years to, to help himself make that jump eventually? Um, um, you know, I think the, one of the biggest things I found at the pro level and came into play, you know, last five, six years I was there was the puck protection thing, you know, just being able to protect the puck down low. Uh, it's not going to be off the rush every time, sort of like it is here in junior. Um, it, the players are just too good up there. And so you're going to have to protect the puck down low. You're going to have to uh, protect it behind the net. You're not going to be able to get those, you know, free two-on-ones and breakaways like you might get here. So it's going to be harder. Um, so protecting the puck, which um, is part of, part of that process, is strength. Uh, part of it is um, hockey sense and knowing where your teammates are and where they're going to be um, and being patient in the offensive zone. So I think that's one area for sure. And then just just maturity, right? Just to handle situations, good and bad, um, take it in stride, you know, forget about it, move on. Um, and, you know, you know, right here. There's a lot of these guys, you know, they're the man here. They're the man. Everyone's talking about them. Look at them. You know, you go to the NHL, it might not be like that. You know, you might just be a guy and uh, being able to accept that and just play your role and do the best you can. So I think that whole uh, mental aspect of it and mental strength and maturity will be a, a big part of it as well. Great, great. Well, Ted, I appreciate the time so much. I know you guys got a game to prepare for. So thanks for the time and good luck the rest of the season. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we're back. Big thanks to Ted once again for taking the time to come on the show. The Firebirds had a game the night that we recorded that Wednesday night, and they were just getting ready for their morning skate, so he squeezed us in before the skate, which was much appreciated. I think there were some really interesting tidbits in there for you guys to take away about Othman, and it really reinforced a lot of the things that we've heard since the Rangers drafted him about him having this goal-scoring ability, but also playing with this edge, which a lot of people believe will give him the ability to play up or down in the lineup. I know the Rangers really value that versatility. They don't feel like he has to fit into the mold of top six, bottom six. He could potentially work in either spot. You like to hear that he's killing penalties and he's doing some of those other little things to round out his game and the toughness that he plays with and the leadership blossoming with him becoming the captain of the team. And then you just go and and watch some of the highlights and some of the obvious things like that quick release that Ted talked about will jump out to you as well. So I, I also found it insightful when Ted was talking about the things that he thinks Brennan will need to get better at to succeed whenever he does turn pro. And he really harped on that puck protection and the strength that you're going to need to do that, and the savviness that you're going to need to do that. And also, he talked about the the mental maturity, and that is something that has come up in conversations about often where I've heard from people that he's really hard on himself when things don't go his way. And I think getting to the point where you can turn the page and move on and not let those disappointments linger is important for any young prospect as they mature and get ready to, to jump ultimately to the highest level. So interesting conversation there for sure. Appreciate the time from Ted. And now we will move on and finish the program as we always do with your Twitter questions. I picked three. There's a lot of good ones this week, but I picked three. And we're going to start with this one from Eric Voss, who wrote, have the Rangers had any contact with Vitaly Kratsov? What percent chance is he back in, the, in New York after the trade deadline. So Eric, I picked this one because I wrote about it. We didn't, this week, I didn't talk about it at the beginning of the show, but I did want to address it at some point. So this question perfectly leads me into the conversation here. And as far as your question, have they had any contact with Kratzoff? The answer is yes, absolutely. The two sides have been in close contact really the whole season since the whole fiasco at the end of training camp where Kratzoff refused the assignment to go to Hartford, ended up going back to Russia. At first, things were heated. I've talked about this on the podcast before. The Rangers were upset that he wouldn't go down to Hartford, work hard, and have you know a pretty good idea or inkling that he would be back in short order. And as we saw with some of the early season injuries that the Rangers had, he probably would have been back in a matter of a couple games. He ends up going back to Russia. 
his side at the time was requesting a trade and, and sort of making their displeasure apparent and vocalizing it. What's happened since then is I think both sides, the Rangers received some criticism for not anticipating that reaction, not handling the situation better, and sort of letting it blow up in their face and become this this mess where now they're ultimately probably going to have to trade him for reduced value. So the Rangers certainly have some fault, as we've talked about before on the show. But then Kratzoff's side, I think, was disheartened by some of the chatter around the time about people questioning his commitment and his work ethic and and why didn't he want to go down to Hartford and work his way back and and that sort of thing. So I, I think both sides kind of realized like, hey, this is sort of a PR mess for us. So what we've seen since then is they've tried to mend the fence. The Rangers loaned him to Tractor in the KHL, which is where Kratzoff has been playing all season. And Kratzoff's side I, very much so ha- has toned things down Quite frankly, they've been pretty quiet recently. I think they're trying to let the situation play out and and not cause a stir right now. So they're both sort of playing nice, if you will, for lack of a better term so far, as we get closer to the trade deadline. Now, ultimately, you guys know, I've talked about this before, this situation I think will be resolved by him being traded at some point or another. But it's been made very clear to me that the Rangers do not feel that that needs to happen by this trade deadline. He's going to be a restricted free agent this offseason. I believe he has no arbitration rights. So he really doesn't have a whole lot of bargaining power. If the Rangers feel that they're getting low ball offers and they want to wait it out and see if over time some team will come around and, and give them more, give them an offer that they find more acceptable... They have no major reason to rush this deal. They can wait until the summer, even beyond that, if they want to. Ideally, would they like to get something done sooner? Probably, I would think so. But again, there's no immediate need to to get rid of him now. It's not like if they don't trade him at the trade deadline, they're going to lose him over the summer and get nothing for him. That is not the case in this situation. So with that in mind... What I've been wondering, especially now that the news has come out that the KHL for COVID-19 concerns and reasons is not going to continue its regular season when the Olympic break ends, they're going to go right into the playoffs. They're going to start those on March 1st. So Kratzoff's team will be in those playoffs and they have one of the best records in the league. So in theory, they could go deep into those playoffs, maybe play until late April. But whenever they get eliminated... Kratzoff, in theory, could be an option for the Rangers to recall. So even though we know that there's a strained relationship there, and ultimately this is heading toward a trade in all likelihood, I would put the percentage chance of that very high. In the meantime, though, if I'm the Rangers, and thinking about it from their perspective, what would be the harm in recalling him? You know that you could use some forward depth. You are trying to play nice right now and you are trying to smooth things over and and hopefully build back some trade value for him. So what would be the harm in recalling him? Letting him sit in Russia really doesn't do you any good. So I would put the ball in his court. I would put the onus on him and say, hey, you're invited back. You're welcome to come back. We're not guaranteeing you a spot in the lineup. You may have to go to Hartford. You may be a healthy scratch, or we may may end up playing you if if you practice well and earn your spot. I don't see what the harm in doing that was. Now, with that said, the one thing that would give me pause and the one thing that I think that Chris Drury would need to do and, and almost surely would do before making that call is just getting the pulse of the locker room. No player has publicly come out and said that they had an issue with the way that Kratzoff handled the situation at the end of training camp, but there have been little whispers here and there, and there's reasons to believe that his reaction to being sent down and instead of saying, hey, I'll do whatever you guys want, you know, I'll be ready when you call on me, I'm going to make you regret this decision, sort of using it as motivation and working hard and trying to get back as quickly as he could to the NHL roster and sort of doing what was best for the team. I think some players may have taken issue with 
not having a team first attitude in that situation. Now, Kratsov had his own reasons. We've talked about them before. I'm not solely placing the blame on him. As I've told you guys many times, I think there's plenty of blame to go around. And I'm sure that he's had conversations with different teammates and some surely sympathize with him, I would assume. But I also think there's at least a decent chance that might have rubbed some of them the wrong way. So I think that from Jury's perspective, before bringing him back, you would definitely want to make sure that the guys in the locker room, the leadership group, that they would all feel good about you doing that. Now, if you get the thumbs up from those guys and they say, hey, if, if he comes here and, and he's a good soldier and does the right things and wants to help the team win, bring him back. Absolutely. And if, and if you get the thumbs up from the guys in the locker room, then from the Rangers perspective, if you're not going to trade him, and again, that could happen. It's, I'm not ruling out a trade by any stretch, but if it doesn't happen, I think that recalling him is not completely out of the question. Now, would he say yes to that? That's a whole other part of this conversation. I think from his perspective, knowing that he ultimately wants out, you could see a reason for him saying no. But at the same time, given the damage to the reputation and giving him probably wanting to prove that he can be a team first guy, that he is worth taking a shot on if you're another team, sort of sending that message to the rest of the league it might be in his best interest to say yes. So we have the situation where we believe it's ultimately going to be a trade. We believe that both sides probably don't feel deep in their heart of hearts great about the relationship right now, but sort of as a way of showing that they can both take the high road, I guess you could say in this situation. If the Rangers said, hey, you're welcome to come back, and he said, you know, I want to show that that I'm willing to do this, that I'm uh, I'm willing to try to help the team. There's maybe a small percent chance. I don't think it's a huge percent chance, but there's there is a chance that maybe he could come back. It's it's really an interesting situation because there's just all these different layers to it. Knowing that that both sides probably would just like to divorce as soon as possible, but also knowing that the Rangers aren't going to rush into it, that they're going to kind of bide their time and wait for an offer that they think is worth their while. Crazier things have happened. If he ended up back in New York, it wouldn't completely shock me. I'm not getting a straight answer, to be completely honest with you guys right now, out of either side about how they would respond to that dilemma. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And, you know, we'll talk about it all this all this time and it might end up being a moot point because he could he could get traded. They're definitely shopping him. Don't Don't get me wrong. He's definitely on the trade block. But if they didn't trade him, what would they do? Really interesting question, and and we'll keep an eye on it as we move forward here. All right, next question comes from Bruce B., who wrote, Vince, what do you think it would take for the Rangers to get Miller from Vancouver, JT Miller? Is that also a player you would like the Rangers to go after? My who I like the Rangers to go after, I don't really care. I just I just want to keep things interesting. I, I think as long as they're involved in the trade deadline in some way, shape, or form, that will make my job interesting. I don't really care which player it is that they go after. So my personal opinion here, I don't think really matters. As far as who do I think is a good fit, Miller is an interesting conversation. But a lot of this conversation comes down to Ryan Strom. I want to make this very clear for everybody. If the Rangers went out and got JT Miller, he's under contract beyond this season. You cannot, by really any stretch of the imagination, I mean, barring some kind of miracle where they offload a bunch of salary some other way, acquiring JT Miller would severely reduce your chances of re-signing Ryan Strom. And as I've told you guys before, my reporting dating back months has been that the Rangers would like to re-sign Ryan Strom. They would like to keep him. They were willing to talk extension with him during the season. I think the longer this lasts, the less likely it is that they are going to sign him to an extension in season. But I think that they would still like to maybe consider that option after the season as well, if nothing works out in the meantime. And there's a variety of reasons for that. They love him in the locker room. He's a guy that has played really, really well since he's been here in New York. It's no fluke. He's had three good seasons in a row. He's been a legitimate number two center for them. They love his chemistry with Artemi Panarin, but it's not just that. They like his overall impact. He has really had a career rebirth since he got traded to New York a few years ago. 
and, and has been highly productive. And from their perspective, if they could re-sign him in their price range, which I've told you guys before, they're looking at an average annual value between five and six million per year is what they're willing to offer. If they could get him in that range, they believe at that price point, they're going to have a really hard time finding anyone better than Ryan Strom. Now, if Strom wants more than that, and if, if his side has made that clear to the Rangers that he's going to test free agency and try to maximize his value, then they need to start considering other options. And then that would make pursuing someone like JT Miller a more realistic goal. But my impression has not been that going after a guy like Miller to replace Strom has been their number one priority. I do think they've looked into that, among many other things, as a backup plan. If they can't work out a, a deal with Strom, and, and maybe at this point, Strom's side has, has made it clear to them that you know five and a half million a year or something around that is not going to be good enough to get it done. That's entirely possible. But I, I really think that before we even have the JT Miller conversation, you need to consider what that means as far as Ryan Strom's future. And it's almost surely going to be one or the other. It would be really difficult for the Rangers to, to have both of them under contract. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think Miller is, is well over $5 million a year. So I, I don't think the Rangers can afford to give both Miller and Strom over $5 million a year, considering how tight their salary cap situation is going to be next season. As far as what would a trade look like to get Miller if the Rangers did go down that path, you know, any trade like that for a forward, my first thought is going to be, okay, the Rangers need depth up front and they have an excess as far as the young defensemen that we talked about in the first segment of the program. So my first thought is always going to be, can they use one of their young defensemen to help them get an impact forward? The thing with the Canucks is they have Quinn Hughes, who is one of the most dynamic, offensively gifted young defensemen in the league. And that makes me think that Vancouver might not be all that interested. Now, I don't have any inside information on this. This is just me using logic and connecting dots. But I don't know if a guy, the Rangers' two top probably trade chips as far as their young defensemen go that we talked about earlier, Lundqvist and Jones, those are power play guys. Those are smaller skill type defensemen, puck movers, point producers, whatever you want to call them. Those guys aren't going to play ahead of Hughes in, in those offensive roles. They're, they're not going to be on the first power play unit. They're probably not going to be on the top pair. So is are those the kind of guys that Vancouver would be interested in? I don't know, but something tells me that having Hughes already in place, they might want something different. So what does that mean for the Rangers? Does that mean you have to give up a valuable piece from your current roster? Does that mean they want Keandre Miller? I don't know if I would go that far. Now, if you could pull off the deal by including, let's say, Matthew Robertson and maybe maybe their first-round pick, something along that, would that be enough to get it done? That could be a deal that you consider. If it's one of your, let's call them B-level prospects, a guy like Robertson, and maybe you entertain the idea of giving up that first-round pick because you know that Miller is going to help you replace Strom if you, if you come to the conclusion that you're not going to be able to resign him, then I think Robertson in a first-rounder might be a fair deal Whether the Canucks would take that or not, they probably would want a better prospect than Robertson. But I think if you're the Rangers, you have to draw the line somewhere. And and Miller, Miller, I think, is a quality player, no doubt. I I don't necessarily see him as an upgrade over Strom. I think we talked about that on an earlier episode. But I I think if you're looking at that trade from the Rangers' perspective, I'm not probably giving up one of my A-level prospects and a first-round pick for him. It would have to be a B-level prospect. And then maybe you consider that first-round pick. But again... You got to consider the Ryan Strom dynamic when you're talking about JT Miller. I know there's a lot of rumors out there about him, but just make sure you're considering what that means for the future of the Rangers and Ryan Strom as well when you're having that conversation. All right. Final question here comes from Big Lou. Now, Big Lou, I feel like I, I, I go with Big Lou's questions a little too often, and there was a lot of them this week. I kind of didn't want to go with this, but there were some similar ones. Lou, I'll give you credit. You asked some pretty good questions. And this one, a lot of people seem to be responding and liking and saying that they'd like me to answer it. And and I do think it's an interesting conversation. So we're going to finish up with this question from Big Lou here, who wrote, does seeing players like Brett Howden and Neil Pionk thrive after struggling with the Rangers 
lend any credence to the idea that the Rangers have difficulty developing young players. So this is another multi-layered conversation here. If anything, the first thing that I think of here is that maybe this speaks to a lack of patience, not just from the Rangers, but if we're pointing in the direction of, of a lot of the people who wanted to run guys like Brett Howden out of here, you know, maybe in these situations, this should be a lesson learned that if these guys don't pop and become really high quality players when they're 20 and 21 years old, that might not mean that they're bust. It might just mean they're going to take a little bit longer. There's a, there's countless examples of that. We're going to talk about a few of them, I'm sure, in this conversation. But a lot of people, I would say the vast majority of Rangers fans that I heard from in the last year or two were begging to get Howden out of here the last couple of years. So to all of a sudden turn around and say, oh, the Rangers made a big mistake by trading Brett Howden, there's a lot of hypocrisy in that, if you ask me. Now, looking at Howden, I think he's a guy that people are talking about a lot right now because I believe he has like a five or six game point streak going, which I don't know if he ever did that with the Rangers. Yeah, I just pulled him up. He's got a five game point streak going. He's got 17 points for the season. He's definitely on pace for a career high. His rookie season with the Rangers, he did have 23 points in 66 games. So he hasn't quite reached that marker yet, but he's got he's got 17 points right now in 34 games. So the point production is up. The shooting percentage is really high. He's at 24.2 shooting percentage right now. That's easily a career high. So he's having a little more luck with his shots. You know, the thing is, he's on a hot streak right now. I think it's easy to pay a lot of attention to him. But ultimately, when the Knights are at full strength, that is an absolutely loaded team. When they have Jack Eichel in the lineup, if Howden isn't scoring at the rate that he is right now, is he even a sure thing to be in the lineup every night? I don't know. I was actually talking to some people about it in Vegas when we were out there in early January, I think it was. And that was sort of a conversation. I think some people were anticipating with their center depth once Eichel gets healthy that Howden might not even be in the lineup every night. Right now, it looks like he probably would be because he's red hot. But I think when you're having this conversation about development, if we're going to go down that road, you have to acknowledge both the development wins and the development losses. It's easy to focus on this guy got away. He's been great wherever he went. But you also have to acknowledge that the Rangers have some young players on their roster right now who have developed pretty nicely. The two most obvious ones are Adam Fox and Igor Shosturkin. Those are star level players that the Rangers brought up through their system. I know Fox they traded for. But those are star-level players that have, since the time that they played their first NHL game, and both of them did that with the Rangers, have been big-time impact players. Now, Shesterkin, the, the, the Rangers' work, and especially we got to talk about Benoit Allaire, the goalie coach, their work developing goalies has been outstanding with Allaire here. Henrik Lundqvist, making Alexander Georgiev a guy who I think people – overlooked a lot when when it came to earlier in his career. I believe he was undrafted, and he's been very serviceable for the Rangers for the most part since he's been here. And, and Allaire's work with Shesterkin has been outstanding. Shesterkin is now a Vesna Trophy candidate in his third season in the league. Definitely one of the best goalies in the world right now, I think a lot of people would tell you. So Igor, they've done a phenomenal job with him. Fox, I hear a lot of people say, oh, well, he was good when he got here. But you know what? A lot of these prospects, when you want to make that argument about they were good when they got here, it's just it doesn't seem to me to be a fully fair argument. So you're basically saying the good ones, the Rangers don't get any credit for them because they were good when they got here. But the bad ones, the Rangers get all the blame for them because they weren't finished products when they got here and the Rangers screwed them up. It just seems like you, you, you got to call it both ways. There's been some players that have panned out really well. Fox, Shesterkin, Ryan Lindgren, I think is another example of that. And another thing that I think getting back to the Howden conversation a little bit about being patient with guys, look at what the Rangers did with players like Mika Zabanajad and Ryan Strom. Those were guys who were traded at points in their career when people felt like, Maybe their upside was limited. Maybe they were stagnant in their development. And both of them, Mika and Ryan Strom, have come to New York and completely taken off. So I think you have to give the Rangers some credit in those instances for uncovering these forwards who are maybe undervalued in other places. And since they've been in New York, 
they have become, in Mika's case, a star-level player, and in Strom's case, a legitimate top-six center. So there's a handful of examples here where you could say, okay, the Rangers got these guys at the right point, and they've done a really good job of fostering them and making them better players since they've been here. Development doesn't only happen when you're 20, 21 years old. In the case of Strom and Zabanajad, it happened in the mid-20s for those guys, and now they're very valuable parts of the team. On the other hand, there have clearly been some losses in the development column for the Rangers. We talked about Vitaly Kratsov, Leas Anderson. Those are situations that were botched, that completely blew up in the organization's face. It's ultimately taking top 10 picks and then later on having to trade them for much less value. So those are two obvious instances where not even just development issues, but as far as handling those prospects and and, and doing whatever needed to be done to make them feel comfortable. They might've just been bad draft picks in general, which quite frankly, it looks like, especially in Anderson's case, was the was what ultimately happened. So it starts with a, with a draft pick, a reach on a guy who probably didn't belong in the top 10, but then further down the line, not recognizing issues that were coming up, whether it be emotionally, mentally, and not foreseeing these potential problems that ultimately had these guys walk away and request trades. So those are two glaring instances where I think you can point some some blame at the Rangers and say they messed up in those situations. A lot of people now, the conversation is focused on the current young forwards who still have a lot to prove. We're talking about, of course, Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco. In a few years... If those two guys are still struggling to produce points consistently, I think this becomes more of a conversation. Then I think you need to do more of a thorough examination and look in the mirror and say, why did these two guys who were considered two of the best prospects in the world when they entered the draft still struggling? But we're talking about guys who have still played such a limited amount of NHL games, who are still so young who have shown flashes and shown strides at various points, but also had taken steps backwards. I just think it's too soon to pass judgment on those guys. We've talked about that countless times on this podcast. We're going to continue to talk about it. Of course, you'd like to see more production out of them. Last week's episode, we spent a big portion of time talking about how I think it's time for the Rangers to sort of take the training wheels off and let both those guys roll in the top six for an extended time, at least leading up to the trade deadline. So I think that that is an obvious step that that the Rangers should take and I think deserves criticism now if they don't take it. But it's also a little premature for us to say, okay, Lafreniere is a bust or Kako is a bust or the development for either one of those guys was completely botched. I think this is an ongoing conversation. There's been wins. There's been losses. They certainly have not been perfect in the development process. I'm not going to sit here and, and argue otherwise. But I also think that with the last few drafts, 19, 20, and 21 in particular, there's a lot of guys who are still waiting to see what they turn into. And another part of this is that the onus now falls on Chris Drury to make that happen, to make sure that those guys are developed properly, to put them in the best positions to succeed. He's less than a year into this job. So now we have to see where does he take this moving forward. He's left some of the same people in place, guys like Jed Ortmeier, but there's also been some new blood entered into the organization who I think Drury is hoping will facilitate this process and make some of the necessary changes. So you also have to see what Chris Drury does as far as his philosophy on development moving forward. Again, he's less than a year into the job, so it's a little early for us to fully say he's done a good or a bad job so far. I think a lot of people feel like his 2021 draft is looking pretty solid so far, but it's still so early. We don't know what guys like Brennan Othman and Ryder Korzak and some of the other guys that they drafted are going to turn into. A couple of them are looking pretty good right now, but you know, tearing up the junior leagues isn't tearing up the NHL as we've seen in many instances. So there's a long way to go. This is an ongoing conversation. I get why it's being brought up. <laughs> I get that a lot of you who wanted to run Brett Howden out of town are now seeing him score goals on your timeline every night and wondering what happened. But, you know, a five-game point streak is a five-game point streak. Let's not all of a sudden make it out like he's become an all-star in Vegas. Let's see how that situation plays out. And let this also be a lesson that in the case of, of pretty much any prospect, patience is a virtue. Some pop really quickly, but that is the exception, not the rule. 
And ultimately, before we're going to pass judgment, especially on guys like Lafreniere and Kaka, we, we need a little more information. We need to see how things play out over time. All right. With that, we are going to end this episode. I appreciate everybody who listened. I love you all. I thank you all every single week for making this podcast what it is. It wouldn't be the same without you guys. We are going to enjoy the rest of this time off. And then pretty soon, by the next time I talk to you guys, we're actually going to have some new hockey games to talk about. So that'll be pretty cool. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. And I will talk to you next week.